0: Hi, and welcome to Grant Thorne's Risk and Regulation Unraveled podcast. This is our monthly review of the news and developments in the world of financial services regulation. My name is David Moy, and I'm joined by my colleague as ever, Ben Farmer. Say hi, Ben. Hello. Um, for any of you that have been listening to recent podcasts on the feed, you'll know some of my colleagues have been in Dubai uh, for COP28. Um, I believe it's 27 degrees in Dubai. Um, now, Ben and I are neither in Dubai or in 27 degrees. It's, it's nearly Christmas. It is... It is the season to be a bit cold, uh, but the FCA and the PIA have been keeping us warm this last this last few weeks, Ben. Don't you think? Um, a, 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 a veritable hamper full of updates to give today. Uh, so hopefully, um, <laughs> hopefully, listeners out there will yeah, um, stick with us as we run through uh, run through what's been happening. Um, ben, where should we start? I, I, I suppose there's been a, some, some big big ish events from a political point of view. We had the autumn statement. Was there anything? financial services related there that got your attention? Um,
1: not a huge amount in all honesty. I think that the bulk of it was much more on the fiscal side than the regulatory side. Um, there was a, a, a sort of specific intervention on multi-occupancy insurance which broadly speaking those who need to know about that will already be yes. all over that But but interesting that legislation now being used to ban certain commission practices rather than just the FCA trying to lean on it so Maybe we see that elsewhere equally. I think the challenges of that particular market are arguably a bit unique. So maybe we don't. Um, yes. No yes. other sort of regulatory bombshells beyond that that I spotted.
0: No, I I I, I felt the same way. I obviously rushed down to uh, the pound pound store to spend my uh, NI uh cut but uh but other, other than that not much not much to see i didn't think um a bit more to see though in the uh, regulatory initiatives grid so the uh, six monthly although it's late uh update of, of all the regulatory bodies coming together to produce this long list of um all of the regulatory initiatives that are in flight and we've, we've obviously looked at it in, in previous situations what's what's uh what's the update this, well, uh, this monthly, yeah
1: right? it certainly is a long list um there's a little bit less that's new and exciting to talk about here as well than there has been on, on prior iteration. So there's sort of just over 140 initiatives on it. So a similar size to last time. I think last time 41 of those initiatives were marked as new. This time it's only 33. Uh, and I think what's particularly helpful is the FCA sort of marked everything with an estimate of high impact or low impact on firms. Mm-hmm. And of those 33 new items, only two have been marked high impact. Uh, those are the cash savings market review and the advice guidance boundary. Uh, oh. If you really want to hear more about those, keep listening. Yes,
0: we've got both of those coming up. Excellent. Um, and I've
1: got 26 miles low impact and five unclear. So I think the, the big focus of the initiatives grid this time, perhaps unsurprisingly, is on uh, what the SCA is now calling the smarter regulatory framework, which is basically how it unpicks all of the retained EU law that it's going to inherit. Um, the bulk of the sort of pre-existing high impact initiatives are in some way or other related to that. Um, A few highlights, Basel 3.1 near final policy statements due basically any time now and then another in Q2 next year. Final implementation is due by the 1st of July 2025. Uh, The ring fencing parliamentary review should start in Q1 with a policy statement in the second half of next year from the regulators. Uh, Obviously, the consumer duty, it wouldn't be complete as an FCA communication if that wasn't in there. That's coming into force for closed book products on 31st of July. Uh, Regulation of buy now, pay later continues. ESG data and ratings continue to evolve. And a second FCA consultation is soon to follow on stable coins, although timings of that are subject to secondary
0: legislation. Uh, Yes, yes. And possibly yeah, general elections, I would imagine, at this point in time. Um, OK, that's interesting, that's interesting. although I, I'm conscious I've I really bigged up this episode with lots of lots going on. And I think the first two items we've covered have been, it's been sort of meh, nothing dramatic. It does, it
1: does get more lively. Probably.
0: Yeah. OK, cool. Let's 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 do that. Let's do that. Well, OK, well, so let's so let's start delving into some of the publications. And I think that I have, I, there's quite a lot to cover. Um. Uh, that's come out in the last month that the run into Christmas is there's obviously a bit of a Christmas cracker in the uh, in the in the in the regulators um, uh, publication department. Um, so I, I've got a little segment here. It's called it's all about the money. Um, it's because there's a few things been going on there. I know I know there's been an access to cash consultation from the FCA. I think you take a look at that, Ben? I have. So this is a
1: uh, consultation paper 2329. So obviously the, the Financial Services and Markets Act 2023 gave the SCA new powers to protect access to cash. So this consultation paper sets out how it's intending to go about that. Uh, the, the first and most significant thing to know is that these new rules will only apply to designated firms. So HM Treasury has the power to designate particular banks and building societies and potentially some other bodies uh, from having had a quick look back at the prior treasury consultation it looks like most likely i would guess they're going to end up designating the largest banks and building societies Mm -hmm. and then also designating as necessary to get geographic coverage in particular areas right um one of the industry responses to that consultation suggested that coordinating bodies might be an appropriate response there because when you're trying to ensure sort of even geographic coverage Nationwide, having a coordinated body is likely to be much more effective than trying to lean on every, every designated firm individually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So those that has come up and HM Treasury has said that if any of those coordinating bodies arise, it will engage with them and it may designate them for FCA supervision under the rules in this consultation paper. Interestingly, the FCA in its consultation paper has says that it strongly encourages designated firms to work through a single national coordinating body.
0: Oh,
1: okay. Okay. Obviously, if, if feeling cynical, one could suggest, well, that's going to make the FCA's life easier because it gives them less bodies to supervise all at once. Oh yeah. yeah um, definitely... Equally, it probably does help firms as well because there's a a complex sort of flowchart thing in the consultation paper about the various steps firms have to go through and things they have to consider. And it does look like there's quite a lot of scope for them to be impacted by external events. Like if another firm's already pulled out of an area and reduced right. access to cash, that then restricts your ability to mm-hmm. pull out. So the coordinating body could
0: help with some of that. Um, so it sounds like if you want to get out, first move or advantage applies. You want to be the first to close. Yeah, I'm <laughs> not convinced the FCA would thank us for
1: spreading that message, but oh, uh, that, no, was, that uh, was, no, was sort no, of God, my sorry. thought when I read it as well. Yeah. Um But yes, the key key elements of the new regime are going to be cash access assessments that firms must undertake to determine whether additional services are needed. Uh, Customers are going to have the ability to make cash access requests, which firms are required to respond to. Uh, These can come from local residents, community organisations, or representatives. Uh, Where there is a gap in cash service provision, where access assessments have shown that there is or will be a local deficiency, firms will have to deliver additional cash services. Uh, and there's a requirement that you can't close any existing cash facility, which includes bank branches, uh, until any additional cash services identified as needed have been made available. OK. Uh, and finally, you have to provide customers with clear information about where
0: and how they can access cash and make cash access requests. OK, interesting. Uh, yes, that sounds like when uh, branches are going to go then, they're going to need to have some kind of ATM type provision by the sounds of it. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, it's not the only thing. Obviously the FCA have been saying oh, I cash, although you, you alluded to it when we talk about the, the regulatory initiatives grid, the cash savings market where they've been, uh, they did some um, some outreach to the to the banks in particular at the end of July, I seem to remember, and I think they re- they've now reported their results on that, haven't they? Yeah, so at the end of July, there was this sort of 14 point plan, I think it was.
1: Uh, as you say, the FCA is now reporting back on that, broadly saying there has been some improvement, but they're still not happy with the, the performance of some of the sort of back book or closed book products. Uh, so they do highlight some signs of a more competitive emerge market emerging. Uh, for example, from July to October 2023, the volume of deposits held in non-interest-bearing bank and building society accounts reduced by £11 billion. Okay. So there are, there are some signs that People are starting to move their cash into higher interest paying accounts, but uh, they have made a point of saying that they still expect to see continued improvement from firms. Uh, Sheldon Mills, the Executive Director for Consumers and Competition, said that there is a more competitive savings market now than in July, including many easy access accounts paying above 5%. But there are still low paying accounts out there, particularly products that are no longer on sale. Mm. We want firms to keep promoting, keep prompting customers in lower paying accounts to move. And we encourage customers to shop around for the best saving deals. So sure. some nice consumer duty themes in there fair yeah, the value, yeah. differential performance yeah. between your your live products and
0: your back-book yeah. products, yeah. sludge practices, how likely customers are to move, et cetera. Yes, it's a real sweet spot for if the FCA want to send messages around closed books and consumer duty, then it's a real sweet spot for for, for doing that, isn't it? OK. Um, and, and, I, and I believe the FCA has also been um, taking some action uh, around um, a, a push forward, APP fraud in payment services. Is that is that right? Yeah. So there's just been
1: a multi-firm review, uh, which the FCA has titled Anti-Fraud Controls and Complaint Handling in Firms, and then in brackets with a focus on APP fraud. Uh, so for those not familiar, authorised push payment fraud is where someone is tricked into sending money to a fraudster posing as a genuine payee. Uh, the FCA I think is attaching particular importance to this at the moment because of the potential impact this could have on vulnerable customers. Uh, the SCA said its review found several common weaknesses. Uh, these included an insufficient focus on delivering good consumer outcomes in many of the firms reviewed, which mm. is always going to be a painful thing to hear as a firm from your FCA supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, within that, there was a suggestion that they couldn't find the evidence they wanted to of boards and senior managers holding the firm to account and entering meaningful discussion and challenge around good customer outcomes, uh, which, again, is, is one on your consumer duty bingo card if you still got it to yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh Management information and actions often focused on commercial risk appetite rather than customer oh. impact, uh, significant scope for many firms to improve the support provided to victims of fraud, poor complaint handling, Uh, Customers provided with decision letters that were sometimes unclear or confusing. So I think uh, uh, quite a lot of that abuse through a consumer duty lens doesn't sound good. I do have Mm -hmm. a slight feeling this seems like the sort of multi-firm review that ends with probably one or more of the firms visited getting a skilled person requirement notice.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, Um, Particularly whoever prompted the line that final response letters were often poorly written, some were insufficiently tailored to the circumstances of the case, we saw examples of technical jargon, aggressive, and sometimes accusatory language being used. And in some cases, the rationale for the final decision was unclear. I mean, that's virtually every example of bad practice that was in the consumer duty CPs in one letter, from the sounds of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, they have, they have, um, they, they have uh, smashed it out of the park. I think in that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. Um... You know, it's obviously the, the, the payment service providers. Uh, I assume this um, is really directed more at them than the, the banks, or although, although I know they're, they're they're within this cohort. But uh, um, yeah, that is uh, yeah, that is a sector that, uh, that one would that one would expect they'll be getting to know rather better as as, as time goes by. Um, we know, they've done some work already, but a lot of it's been focused on things like safeguarding and yeah, resilience. But but now it looks like customer outcomes are kind of hooving into the um, the target area excellent uh well, ben you've been doing most of the work I, I think it's time for me to 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 um uh, prove to the audience that i've actually done something this month um uh, there's there's been a bit of activity uh, some quite significant activity actually anywhere around I'll call it investments um the top of the list would be the final rules uh, so policy statement 2316 from the sca on the uh, s- sustainability disclosures regime so you might think, well, that's only applies to UK funds, and you're right, it does, but there are elements of this uh, final rule set that actually apply to every regulated firm, and I'll, I'll come on to that. But, but in terms of the fund-specific stuff, yeah, this is this is a basically UK retail funds, um, uh, and um, it, fi- it finalises the rules around using sustainability disclosures in marketing. So we, like other regimes, have now got a labelling system. or We will have a labelling system. It'll come into effect in uh, um, late 2024. Um, a labelling system for if you if you want to make claims about the uh, ESG benefits of your of your fund um, uh, interestingly the consultation we had three labels and in the spirit of simplifying the regime the final rules give us four labels um, but uh, um, those labels are uh, sustainability impact sustainability focus sustainability improvers so the first one was like the most green and the third one is the least green and then the, the new goal the, the new label rather is Mixed goals, sustainability, mixed goals, which basically says we're doing a bit of everything in there. Um, and there's there's uh, there's rules regarding um, obviously not making any misleading marketing. That uh, in order to get a particular label, that 70% of your fund of the fund must be invested in relevant assets. And the rules are, rules around that. Uh, you know what 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 constitutes a relevant relevant asset. Um, so uh, obviously. That's significant for for UK funds, of which many are, are, are have green labels of one sort or another. Um, interestingly, although the see the, the rules talk about or the policy statement other talks about um, uh, harmonisation to some degree with or working alongside of regimes in other in other in other countries, there's, there's still yeah this is basically still a different rule set to anything anyone else has got. Um in quite significant ways, both both in terms of the labels that are being used, but also some fundamental things. So I mentioned that 70% of the fund needs to be invested in relevant assets. Well, if in the EU you want to use the, their labels, you've got to be 80% of the fund being invested. I think the same, the same in the US, actually. So, so um, it, w- we will have our own system, it won't harmonize really. That that may pose some challenges for, for fund managers trying to manage manage funds in different jurisdictions. Um, the uh, and the, the indication is that the whilst these rules only apply to UK funds for now, they'll be rolled out all versions of them rolled out over time for pension funds and uh, n- other non non fund type investments like like uh, portfolio management services. Um, but the, the one part of the final rules that applies to everybody are rules around greenwashing. So there is um, now a, a hard greenwashing rule in the ESG handbook that it basically makes it a so, makes it a, a regulatory breach if you if you present your um, product or service, whatever it is, regulated product or service, in in a, in a way that's greener than it than it actually is. The um, Easiest way to think about it is it basically takes the clear, fair, and not misleading rules and principles that apply to, to to communications and 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 basically says that also applies to any um ESG related claims you make for a product or service so that's uh that is from May 24 everyone will be subject to that rule so the FCA will have powers at that point to to um to 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 take on any organization it thinks is 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 overplaying the uh, greeniness of their um, of their products um uh also happening the month, in this month around investment funds was a, uh, the FCA producing an overseas funds regime consultation paper 2326. Um, so SDR I was just talking about only applies to UK funds obviously you have to be domiciled fund needs to be domiciled in the UK um, post uh, post Brexit we were super generous in the UK and basically have low, allowed unfettered access for EU domicile funds into into the into the UK. Interestingly the reverse is not true you couldn't you couldn't take a UK fund and distribute it in Say Luxembourg, but 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 you can you can do the reverse. Um and um the consultation basically deals with the 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 follow through on the government commitment to um well they say simplify the overseas fund regime. So um it's a set of rules that are, that are based on the, uh, the this is what happens once the UK government provides a an an equivalence decision, they are you calling it an equivalence decision, very much a EU type language and the, the, the expectation is the government some at some point next year will designate the EU for funds purposes as an equivalent jurisdiction uh, and at that point um, EU funds can um, uh, register, uh, they've already registered under, under the old, old regime but they can register under the new regime to be distributed in the UK um, but in doing so there are a, a set of uh, UK specific requirements that will be They'll, they'll become subject to which they, they they to some degree are not subject to currently. So the way they use benchmarks, the liquidity management uh, within the fund, um, target markets, ESG focus. I haven't got specifics on what that means. That may mean they have to use the SDR type labels, but but certainly certainly there's, there's, that's one of the areas the FCA giving themselves powers to to regulate uh, the way fees are disclosed. Um, they'll need a, someone a UK authorised person to be signing off any financial promotions. Um, so, uh, and there's some uh, enhanced disclosure that's going to be required around the fact that these funds are not are not within the FS, FSCS, the compensation scheme arrangements. They're not within the falls regime. So basically, much more prominent than currently. You know, if you invest in these things, you are not getting any of these um, any of these protections. So, um, so it, it's it's in some ways my reading of it is uh, is yes, it probably makes it once the equivalence decision is in, it makes it. Uh, It doesn't make it any harder, but it's only relatively easy from a registration point of view to get your fund distributed in the UK. But you are suddenly picking up some UK-specific responsibilities that you didn't have before. So Brexit having a bit of an effect there. um, the third sort of investment-related thing I had on my list here was um, capital rules for IFAs. I mean, there's a lot of IFAs. This affects all, several thousand firms. CP consultation paper, consultation paper 2324. Um, this is to try and address what the FCA FCA sees as a problem, which is that um, uh, personal investment firms is their language, but IFAs uh, or financial advisors don't have, um, don't hold, aren't required to hold heaps and heaps of capital. If they get into problems with customer detriment and they have redress payments to make, yeah, there's a you know a, a, a PI an insurance requirement that, they, that so they, they will have insurance, but an awful lot of um, IFAs in that situation or financial advisors in that situation just fall over. Actually, they they, they can't meet the redress capabilities and uh, requirements, and they and they fall over. So this um, consultation paper suggests that a firm will be obliged one of these firms will be obliged to once it identifies a potential redress liability either through a complaint or any other activity they might have been undertaking uh, to look at their back book um they need to calculate the uh, potential redress and then set aside 28% of that amount as part of their regulatory capital requirement uh, where's the 28% coming from you all you all ask mm-hmm. uh, well apparently it's a multi-year review of uh, the level of uphold complaints in the sector so um, uh the, the FCA is saying you know the, the fact you're putting capital aside doesn't mean you're accepting liability for the complaint you're, you're just uh, you're just you're just putting money aside in just in case and 28 percent is the is the usual quotes hit rate my quote hit rate for for complaints so so um, so because of this uh, uh, any financial advisor that identifies potential address will have to hold more capital um, it's I think probably you know, the thing about the regulatory process is the big thing it does from the FCA's point of view is, yeah, it sets aside a bit more capital, which means some of these firms will do a better job of meeting their redress liabilities, but it also makes for an automatic process. So if this extra, you know, redress capital requirement means that a a financial advisor doesn't have enough regulatory capital, you know, it makes them below the line from a red cap perspective, then automatically a, 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 a asset retention requirement comes into force. So they cannot Move money out of the organisation, you know, without without sort of controls and approvals and from, from the FCA. Currently, it's that there's a regulatory process around getting an asset retention requirement in place that so the FCA have to take action and letters have to be written, etc. But but this basically makes it an automatic, uh, so that simplifies life for the for the FCA.
1: Is it, um, so is it left up to firms to decide what's what counts as a potential liability that they need to set this capital aside for, or is that quite tightly defined in the rules? It's um
0: it, well it, it's a, it, yes, there there's particular circumstances where it says, you know, you 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 are you need to consider this a potential redress liability. So a complaint, an open open complaint, even if you've closed it and it's gone to false, for instance. But so as long as it as long as it remains potentially open, um then, then that's in. I think it's, it's a bit more of a grey area um no well, maybe not a grey area actually you this, see this this idea uh, the 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 consultation says okay we're not making a rule that says your financial advisors need to take proactive work to find um uh, potential redress cases so this isn't like a generalized go you and know, review your back book and work out all the cases you've done wrong um uh but if you become aware because of any proactive work you've undertaken as well as complaints um of a, of a potential uh customer outcome then you need to set aside uh this redress amount for it um i mean it's hard to. i think in the context of consumer duty where you're supposed to be monitoring customer outcomes etc etc it's 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 hard to see that you, you know the fca wouldn't say well you should be doing some work to <laughs> identify um if you caused uh customer harm but they're not making like an explicit duty to go looking yeah. for it um there is a uh there's a discussion chapter, so um, within the document, which actually sets out the shape of what would be, and obviously it's a discussion chapter, so this is a long way in the future potentially, but a, but a completely new regime for regulatory capital in the financial advice space, much more like, for those that have a MIFU pre-investment firm, much more like that, so activity level level um, calculations, well, different to the ones that you, they currently have, um, uh more uh, active uh, assessment of other risks um uh a, a liquidity requirement um a, a wind down plan requirement etc so you know uh, the, the direction of travel i think is 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 going to be i would regard the com- the current consultation as a sort of temporary measure on the road to what we think will be higher capital requirements um i'm gonna stop talking for a minute there Ben because I know I know you've been looking at a a couple of speeches the FCA have produced around culture and conduct so at least that's my takeaway is that is that
1: that right yes that's exactly what they've been talking about um so the first of these is Emily Shepherd, who's the Chief Operations Officer and Executive Director of Authorizations uh gave a reasonably wide ranging speech but the the thing that leapt out most strongly from it was around uh so we've seen the FCA talk about it a few times, but the importance of diversity and inclusion initiatives and in particular their relationship with customer outcomes. Um, so it basically reiterates the FCA's core view, which is that healthy cultures lead to better outcomes for both firms and customers and that having DNI and and a decent degree of representation within your firm is a very important step towards achieving a, whole, a healthy culture. Uh, and that's not just uh, a better degree of representation. Obviously it's also about equity of opportunity and you know all the all the other elements of a, a proper DNI culture that go along with that. Uh, benefits cited being the increased diversity of thought, the reduced tendency for groupthink as a result. Uh, and if you've obviously got staff with a greater range of life experiences, it makes it easier for your firm to have the appropriate degree of empathy with a broader range of customer circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that I found particularly interested in this speech was there was a suggestion that the second and third line of defence functions should play a role in holding leadership to account for creating an inclusive culture, um, which uh, implies there's a role for sort of mm. compliance and internal audit teams within mm. the D&I regime, which makes a degree of sense. But I do wonder if that perhaps takes those teams outside what has traditionally been mm. their comfort zones. Um, Definitely, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, you're I mean, right. It does make sense. Uh, but it, it's also it's not a small <laughs> it's not a small thing to, to add on to your responsibilities is it well uh,
1: no exactly because it's clearly something that's traditionally been owned by sort of HR and most compliance teams certainly that I've worked in or with have been fairly reluctant to get too involved in HR matters if they can help it yes yes um, I agree yeah that that could be a could be a challenge for anyone who's currently sitting down drawing up their 2024 compliance monitoring plan debating whether or not they want to try and scope, something like that to put in there. Uh, A a week or so earlier, Cherie Howard, who's the Executive Director of Risk and Compliance Oversight at the FCA, uh, had given a speech on building firm foundations for healthy cultures. Uh, Again, there was uh, some coverage of uh, diversity, equality, and inclusion, but the big focus on this one was on the sort of three lines of defence model and the importance of all three lines independently, asking probing questions, not being afraid to challenge anything, uh, I think that the big theme was basically, there should be no question you're afraid to ask of your own firm. Okay. Um, there was a sort of recognition of the fundamental risk reward dy- dynamic, the idea that firms do need to take risks to earn rewards, but really emphasising that this can't manifest, particularly in the current economic climate, where there might be an incentive to take more risks to try and seek bigger rewards. To This, this can't lead to taking shortcuts or diminishing standards. The quote that I found particularly interesting was, she said, to remember when considering how the FCA may deal with an event of concern, we will often take into account the quality and independence of a firm's third line of defence. If the firm has a robust internal audit function, we will often trust them to investigate or validate something. If not, we'll be forced to reach for other regulatory tools such as digging deep ourselves or commissioning a skilled person. Um, so she yeah. then positions that a good, a strong third line defence is a regulatory dividend because of what it can help you to avoid potentially, which is a phrase yeah. I quite like and I might steal. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I guess we've seen that to some degree. Although, yes, I think um, certainly having a weak internal audit function is is is, is you're isn't is is the opposite of a dividend, and certainly um, makes a skilled person be more likely. I guess um. I'm not sure how many instances I can think of that a uh, internal audit were asked to do something instead of a skilled person review. I think I think um, uh, I think that's a relatively uh, uh, unusual occurrence. Um, although uh, I think the, the, the internal audit often, often plays a role in terms of following up the skilled person review findings. That's that's uh, that's a handover if you like that, uh, that that we see quite a lot of. It's interesting stuff. I mean, what's interesting stuff? It's it's kind of that fairly uh, mothered and apple pie type stuff. If I can use that phrase, that's clean. Well, fall get full of the diversity police, actually. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll rethink that and come up with a, an alternative. Uh, but, but yes, a sound uh, uh, three lines of defence model uh, is clearly um, is clearly still in fashion at the FCA. Um, OK, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a couple of big items to, to talk to here. Um, the first of which is the advice guidance boundary discussion paper. And the second is the uh, critical third parties regime that's taking shape. Um, so I mean, I'll, t- I'll take the first of those. So this is a discussion paper, the advice guidance boundary. This is a, actually a, a review that has, is, is, has been conducted more than once. Um, uh, this situation uh, it, it, it is being driven by what's uh, identified to be the advice gap. So what do we mean by advice guidance boundary? Uh, well, uh, this is a, this is um, investment savings retirement advice. This is not mortgage advice. It's not Debt advice. This is this is about you know where you invest your money, your pensions, etc. Um, obviously, that's regulated activity, investment advice. However, you know regulated activity is, is a defined thing. There are limits to it, and some things are might be helpful to uh, consumers. Uh, I don't don't reach the threshold of being investment advice. They are guidance. Um, there's a massive step change difference between the regulatory requirements on advice versus guidance. And and you know, I guess the simplest way of describing it is if you're giving investment advice, you need to be considering the the, the whole range of the customer circumstances, their life objectives, their, their you know their future. <laughs> it's it's a holistic advice is often the term that's used, but it's a you know it's a it's a big exercise to consider all of the factors and then provide relevant advice. Whereas guidance is well it's it's essentially not regulated. So um it can be dished out willy-nilly um and over the years you know frankly the the amount of what's considered investment advice and has been tightly regulated has grown so that that pretty much has got bigger and bigger um and uh you yeah, know there's a recognition has been for a while that this is is creating an advice gap because that holistic advice uh is quite expensive to deliver um the discussion paper talks about the fact that at this point only in in a in any given year only about eight percent of adults um get any kind of financial advice um and That most advice firms, in fact, the advisors and advice firms, either have a formal or an informal gate that basically says, Been a, if your assets are below below a certain level, we, we, we're not going to support you. We, you know, it's not cost effective to support you. So, so there is a there is a there is a gap. Um, uh, the FCA are concerned that that gap is filled by um, things like influencers that we've talked about previously been, but, you know, a, a big, encouraging people to do things they might not do if they got some proper advice. Uh, and certainly they, they talk about the, the advice gap leading is less than optimal outcomes either. You know, you've you've done what a influencer said and you've chucked it all into Bitcoin and you've lost all your money. Although actually checking Bitcoin's prices, that's probably not, you would probably wouldn't have done that. But um, but anyway, like, uh, the, some crypto. So that's not financial advice, by the way. I'm not recommending that. No. No, <laughs> merely a comment, a mere a comment on, on today's. Bitcoin price. Um. Uh. So. Um. So you might end up in high risk products you shouldn't be in. You or or you just have, and this is a very common thing uh, but, uh, issue the FCA reference. Um. The, you you have you have a few thousand pounds, but it's sitting in a low interest account when it when actually it might be better off being invested in something with a better return, etc. So, um. I know you know over a long long term period, say in the pensions world, that can add up to an awful lot of money you're missing out on. So discussion paper and it is a classic discussion paper in the sense that it's not really driving forward with one um one uh, 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 proposed route it's giving us a choice of three routes although if you look at those three routes it's pretty clear that at least one of them is not on the table so route one not on the table really very short right up about a page or so is that basically we we leave the advice guidance boundary where it is we provide a little bit of clarification etc but we don't do anything um that's in stark contrast to two and three, uh, the second and third options, where there's a significant write-up of what it might look like. Um, and two, got, I'll do two last because I think it's probably the most interesting one. So three is, is uh, basically saying, uh, well, we would uh, identify certain investment products at where we allow for what we call streamlined advice and, and they did do a consultation and it, it didn't go anywhere on a, and a streamlined advice process around cash uh, around um, around ISAs um stocks of shares like and uh you know basically just dialing back the advice rules on that so it's still advice but you can do it in a much a much streamlined fashion and they basically said you know we, we so option three is we identify more products where that might be um, suitable to do so uh, you know, in it, it talks about um, uh, one or two examples of, of those kind of things but um, but basically it's, it's a it's a it's a it's advice but advice light um, the second and probably the most um, discursive in terms of the way the information is presented is is actually option two which is it's probably going to have the banks and insurers sort of salivating I would think because it basically I'm distilling this massively, uh, so uh, (laughs) if you're really interested, read it. But but it basically says, okay, this is where this is the one where you can use data, all that lovely juicy customer data that you've got, and you can say and you can use it to analyse an individual customer's circumstances, and you can go to them and say, this is an advice, but uh, other people in your situation have benefited from x or y or done x or y uh, and so uh, there's sort of targeting talk about targeting targeting based on personal circumstances etc. so um i mean the, the the need to be significant safeguards around around um around that targeting but but it basically would be uh, a mechanism by which organizations that have got a lot of your data could say well you kind of look like the kind of person that would be interested in you know pension x or investment product y and here's the link <laughs> you can follow to buy it um um and, and that would be you know in a in a new sort of guidance regime as opposed to in the full blown expensive advice regime so um that that would be a very significant change um that would be the most significant change of of, of any of the um uh, of any of the uh, um uh options to be honest and probably the the one that's would be most threatening to the existing advice industry um yeah,
1: it doesn't, doesn't sound very tailored. It feels to me like that's the sort of thing. If it's going to result in, well, it'd be misguidance rather than misadvice now, wouldn't it? But it sounds like it's either going to be misguidance for everyone or for no one.
0: Well, I think the, 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 I think, I think what would that probably happen is, I mean, they, they do use the language of it, it, You would use that data to target um, simple solutions. So it will probably end up being the it being a case that you could only actually provide pretty vanilla, low risk type solutions yep. i mean this is this is a discussion paper ben so there's a massive amount of talking to be done and we're a long way mm-hmm. from anything that looks actually like a rule but um clearly fca looking for some feedback on direction of travel and i think i think there will be quite a lot of uh <laughs> quite a lot of views expressed on all of those options but particularly that, that 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 second option um we shall see we shall see um uh the like most discussion papers, we've got they got people who've got a few months, the industry have a few months to respond. So um uh, this process will will be fairly um long term in the way it evolves. Um uh, less long term. Uh, the other really big thing I think that that's kind of got well, is moving the dial is is the joint consultation paper the SCNPR issued on what well, is entitled Operational Resilience, Critical Third Parties. And for a bit quick bit of background, um the uh, amendments to the Financial Services and Markets Act this time around have given HM Treasury the ability to uh, designate as a new acronym, critical third parties, CTPs, designate CTPs um, for regulation. And once they're designated, the PRA and the FCA can have, uh, well, have, have will have regulatory supervision powers over these critical third parties. And um, this consultation paper is setting out the proposed rules on what that regulation would look like. So we haven't got any CTPs yet. Well, the expectation is, I'm pretty sure that we're going to get them. I mean, they're, they're for, the, for anyone that, that um, doesn't know, there's a, there's a number of tests, but basically it's, yeah, anyone that's providing critical services to a market and, um, and, a, and a large number or, or material number of participants, I mean, basically, basically posing a systemic risk um, to a particular... Yeah, any any, any outsourcer system. that if it
1: falls over
0: is potentially going to put a big dent in the yeah. UK economy. Yeah, the, um, the working assumption is it's your Amazon Web Services and and you know really big uh, technology infrastructure providers that are, that are going to be first up for this, but um, we, we, time will tell. Anyway, Ben, have you had a chance to take a look at the consultation about what the um, what the regulators are saying that this new regulatory framework will look like?
1: I've had a yeah, I've had a brief look. So yeah, in terms of the designation of those CTPs, it says that. Uh, so the, I think the law is drafted is that HM Treasury will designate them in consultation with the regulators. Um, very much expected that in practice the regulators will just make recommendations to HM Treasury because obviously they know the firms and they know which outsourcers these firms are using.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and yes, in terms of what regulation will look like for those designated CTPs, there will be a set of CTP fundamental rules, which the draft proposals look very similar to the existing PRA fundamental rules. Uh,
0: Yes. Conduct business with integrity, with due school care and diligence, effective risk management, must deal with regulators in an open cooperative way. You know what, these these do seem reasonably familiar, don't they? (laughs) Yeah, anyone from a financial services background is not going to be struggling to get
1: their head around those, but you would certainly hope. Um, There'll be operational risk and resilience requirements. So these, I think, can be seen as sort of broady analogous to the minimum recovery type requirements that are already coming in in some sectors. Uh, Any designated CTPs will find themselves subject now to the regulator's various information gathering Mm. powers so they can make information requests of these firms in the same way they can of existing regulated firms. They will also be able to appoint skilled person reviews of these CTPs. Mm. Um, And then there are various notification rules defining certain types of incidents that if they occur you have to report them and then some of what you might term the sort of usual regulatory stuff about misleading your designation status and public references to it and that sort of thing
0: oh yes yes they're, they're, they're concerned that that some of these ctps will say look we're regulated we're much more reliable than the, the, the bunch that aren't regulated which uh, they, yeah. they're, they're saying you uh, shouldn't yeah like say that line, line one of it is the
1: risk that ctp designation could be misinterpreted as a regulatory <laughs> kite mark of approval so this I guess these are very similar to how the FCA is rightly very protective yeah. over where its logo appears and yeah. firms attempting to claim that authorisation is some form of an endorsement and things like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's uh, uh, the, as you said, there's, uh, there's a sort of information requirements and and expectations around resilience, which which on the face of it are, are fairly is fairly standard stuff, but um, the information element means he, this is going to have to be provided to. To the regulators uh you know, i think there's about various things that need to be delivered over like three months and six months and 12 months of being CTB. among a ctb so a map, and that includes actually a, map, a mapping of all your systems and processes and resources so how are you actually supporting uk entities and where um governance framework as your risk management framework including how you manage supply chain risk um testing a continuity playbook in the event of an incident uh post incident communication protocols, et cetera. Also an interesting, um, an an orderly termination requirement. So I guess that, that's that's trying to use regulation to stop any of these big providers basically cutting and running uh, you know without without giving time for uh you know alternative um supplier to be to be sourced, which is interesting. Um and they'll also need a legal person in the UK that will be uh yeah, the regulator will be able to reach out and squeeze uh a uh, legal person, obviously, is uh it, it might be an individual, but it's was more likely to be a, a legal entity in this case. Um yeah, yeah, it's uh yeah, it's um as obviously um significant pro- we're expecting it's probably only gonna apply to a f- relatively small number of organizations in the foreseeable future. Uh, but it's gonna be really interesting to see how um how aggressively the FCA and PRA choose to supervise. I I, I took I think the prominence within this consultation of skilled person reviews, I think, is is is, is, is attention-grabbing, actually, and, and I can, you know, that would be the obvious way one would think that that the, the regulators would try to get a bit of a deep dive into these organisations because um, they're huge and the ability of the regulator out of their own resource to, to really make much headway is probably limited, so so I, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see quite regular skilled person reviews on aspects of these CTPs.
1: It'd um, uh, be, be interesting to see if we're right in our assumption that they end up subject to this. It'd be interesting to see what some of the big tech firms make of all this, because obviously we had the uh, fairly extensive dialogue over the online harms bill earlier in the year, didn't we? And they didn't, a lot of these large cool. American tech firms weren't particularly, didn't seem to be terribly enjoying the sort of British European style
0: of regulation. Um, that's a good point. I mean, there, were, there was, uh, yeah, yes, you're right. There, there was a scenario where they, the, the the tech firms will say, well, Thanks, but no thanks. We'll just take our toys away. Um, uh, yes, I, I, I mean there, there's there's stuff in the um, consultation about a whole, whole leg around uh, collaboration, international collaboration, etc., which is um, uh, is it, is potentially some some proof against that. I.e., if they're gonna, you know, the same firms are gonna be hit by regulators in different jurisdictions, then they can't they can't they can't run away from all of them. But 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 yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether the industry, that, 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 the big Big tech takes this lying down, or whether it um, it, it pushes back quite hard, as you say, they've got some history of doing so. Um, or oh, works out exactly where the threshold for being critical lies, and just make sure their market share stays just under it. Yeah, it could be, it could be. It, yeah, well, quite. Well, how much how much lobbying might go on to you know avoid being designated? It's uh, you know if you, if you want that uh, if you want those two and a half thousand uh, Google jobs. Doing developing AI, or whatever it is, then maybe yeah. you maybe you uh, you don't designate us. Oh, I think we're getting into some 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 murky waters there. But it's uh, it's suffice, it, suffice, it, suffice it to say it's uh, when you're dealing with organisations of that scale, it could be it could be some quite interesting interesting times. Um, we're going to wrap up with a very very quick mention of enforcement cases where, yeah, to be fair, there aren't really um, any uh, big names to 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 bring up. We've had. Um, Three pretty small money order firms were fined for rigging uh, exchange rates, basically prices for for um, uh, money transfers in a particular currency in a particular location, part of Glasgow, as, as it happens, um, uh, back in 2017. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure there's too much to draw from that, other than you know, colluding on prices is is is, is illegal. Um, we had a couple more. Pension transfer specialists uh, involved in British steel pension scheme work being banned um and a restraint, or restraint order being imposed on wealth tech, which is a failed wealth firm that um and then basically on CFCA trying to make sure that no money kind of leaves the building um before uh, before some some compensation can be played, paid even. um so yeah, not too much on the enforcement uh, front. Uh, to report. Um, we will end the podcast there. Thank you for those that have listened to us today. Um, I hope you will enjoy your Christmas break in the near future. Um, we will be back in the new year to um, provide another regulatory update um, and discuss our Christmas uh, breaks because um, I know that, 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 that that's really what everyone wants to hear about. Um, ben, thank you very much and I'll thank see you in January.